102.5 FM, KXSFLP San Francisco, and KXSF.FM. You're tuned in to Spark, informing minds, inspiring ideas, igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. This is Kelly Marlowe, host of Spark. Today I'm talking with Dr. Jen Gunter, who is known by her thousands of fans as Dr. Jen. She is regularly referred as Twitter's resident OBGYN, as a best-selling author, obstetrician, and gynecologist. Dr. Jen Gunter is internationally recognized for her work to expand the knowledge and understanding of women's health. Today we'll be talking about her new book, The Menopause Manifesto, and addressing some of the key concerns that women experience during menopause, in particular tying to mental health. Thank you for joining me on Spark today, Dr. Gunter. Well, thank you so much for having me. Can you define what is happening in perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause? Altogether, the whole experience can be thought of as menopause. During uh, menopause itself is the final menstrual period, and everything after is postmenopause, and everything before is the menopause transition, which some people call premenopause or perimenopause. And during the menopause transition, there is sort of a, a slowing down and a stopping of ovarian function with a decrease in estrogen and progesterone and also some corresponding changes in um, hormones from the brain. Menopause occurs when there is uh, when there are no more um, uh, eggs left that can ovulate. So that's what's happening sort of biologically from a basic standpoint. And what are the related age range that women should start experiencing typically in these stages? The average age of menopause, when the final menstrual period, so thinking about the last period, is about 51. But the menopause transition uh, or premenopause is really a period of indeterminate length. It can be you know, three or four years. It, it could be seven or eight. Um, everybody's a little bit different. Uh, just like, you know, some people, puberty sort of seem to last longer than others. You know, some people have later growth spurts. If you sort of take the puberty experience and reflect on that for the menopause transition, that's often really helpful. Interesting. Postmenopause, is that a stage yeah. where you are finally over all the symptoms of menopause? No. So um, so some of the hormonal changes, um, some of the fluctuations in brain hormones and other things can continue for, you know, kind of a year or two afterwards. And then you reach sort of a new steady state, if you will. So the symptoms can be related either to the fluctuation in hormones. So as what happens in the menopause transition and year or so afterwards, after, after the final period, or what um, can happen is the symptoms can be from the hormonal changes. And so, you know, you can have hot flashes or hot flashes during your menopause transition, but you can also have them for years afterwards. The average duration is about seven years, actually. Vaginal dryness can start early, but it might also start later. And some women get many symptoms and, and some don't get any at all. That's really good to know. It seems like these topics are becoming more prevalent in discussions, and yet there's a lot of confusion, even misinformation about what's happening through those stages? Well, I was just going to say, I think that, you know, for too long, we just haven't been allowed to talk about women's bodies, right? There's been a sort of, you know, that's just part of being a woman, or you just suck it up, or your your concerns aren't valid. So I think that's been a very long-standing societal attitude. And when I say long-standing, I mean thousands of years. And I think that we're finally in a position where where we have have 
the ability to say, you know, wait a minute, <laughs> so this wiring that is required for reproduction that half the population has carries with it a, a lot of consequences. And we need to talk about that. And it's okay to talk about it. And talking about it doesn't make us weak. And it's not shameful. But you have to remember, a woman's body has been shameful for most of our history. It's interesting that you bring this up. I remember my mom having symptoms or just being much more emotional and she didn't know what was going on and she couldn't explain it because no one ever told her that there's a stage called menopause and that she'd be going through it. And I just remember no one really talked about it in her generation. It just felt like it's only in the last two decades. And even now, I would say it's not even clear for, I think, most women to know where to start on this topic and who to go to. And would you say that there are fewer OBGYNs who are practicing to focus on this stage versus like giving, helping with delivery of babies? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of OBGYNs who focus on, um, you know, menopause. There are a lot of internal medicine doctors and family medicine doctors, too. I think part of the problem is that many of the issues that happen in menopause are across many specialties, right? Because you're talking about all of your health not just your reproductive health. So for example, menopause affects your bones. Well, you know, typically, so many OBGYNs or many family doctors or internists may be very comfortable managing early stages of osteoporosis, but advanced osteoporosis might be better managed, for example, with an endocrinologist, you know, totally different specialty. The same thing with, for example, bladder health. People who are having minor issues may very well be able to be treated by their OBGYN or their internist, but if they have really significant problems, they might need to see a urogynecologist and so on. And so I think that the part of the problem is is, is that when people are, are suffering significantly when they're you know, they don't respond to sort of first line treatments, you know, they need to go to other specialists. And so menopause isn't just can't all of the ramifications can't possibly treat, be treated by one person. That would be like asking every single thing that could happen to you as an adult to be treated by one physician. If I were in menopause and I'm, I'm experiencing multiple range of symptoms, you're saying that I need to consider seeing specialists for the various areas that I feel most affected by? No, not at all, actually. I think that you should talk to your the doctor who does most of your care about your symptoms, and they may very well be able to help you. But if they can't, they may also need to be able to refer you on. Many OBGYNs are very confident in you know managing menopause, many of the menopause. But if you're having an advanced problem, you know meaning you've developed more issues, they may not be able to. The idea that we can ask one physician to manage every possible thing in menopause just isn't possible. In the same way, your pediatrician can't manage every single thing that happens to your child. Sometimes a specialist needs to get involved. What are the most common misconceptions about menopause? One of the, the biggest ones is that women become frail and uh, lose their value in society. So that's definitely a sort of a misconception. I, I think the, um, the concept that every single person is going to have terrible hot flashes, 25% of people really have very few symptoms. I think another big misperception is that the brain fog that some people describe in menopause is going to become permanent or is a sign of dementia, and that's not the case. It's a sort of a temporary change in the system that right itself um, over the next year or two. How do you know the difference between brain fog that's tied to gut health and brain fog that's mm -hmm. tied to menopause? Oh, well, if you're having symptoms, then you go to your doctor. And so, for example, depression could result in symptoms that might 
sound like brain fog, and so you would be screened for that. But brain fog is not a sign of dementia. So I think that's a really important thing, right? That's a different thing. If, if people are having true significant memory problems and there is a concern about early dementia, then they need to be screened for that. You know, many of the symptoms that happen in menopause are similar to the symptoms of aging as well. So sometimes it can be hard to settle out. If you're in your mid-40s, mid to late 40s, and all of a sudden you find that you're struggling a little bit with finding words or feeling like your brain's not working as it should, well, you should be seen by your doctor because there's lots of things that can do that. For example, your thyroid, you could have depression. So those things need to be screened for. And if you have the other medical things ruled out, then it's entirely possible it could be related to menopause. And then, you know, reassurance is, is what you would, you know, it would be the next step. What are the most common symptoms of menopause? Well, the the universal symptom that is, is experienced almost by everybody in the menopause transition is menstrual irregularities. So leading up to menopause, skipped periods, heavy periods, bleeding between periods. Um, Now, the degree to which that happens can vary. Hot flushes happen for about 75% of people. So that's a very common symptom as well. Many women also notice a little bit of a redistribution in, in fatty tissue. So they have more kind of, they notice more fat around their middle versus elsewhere. Uh, and that also is a consequence of the, sort of the cascade of hormonal changes and loss of muscle mass. That accelerates during the menopause transition. And that's why it's so important for women to be physically active because they can help slow their loss of muscle mass. Would you say it would take more exercise than before to stay in the same health range that they were? Well, I, it, it depends on what your level of exercise was before. Physical exercise is the best way to maintain muscle mass. Everybody loses muscle mass with age, even elite athletes do. So an elite sprinter will not be able to sprint in their 60s the same way they could in their 30s, even if they have the same training program. But if people are not active at all or very inactive, they're going to have a more rapid decline. And so, you know, increasing your physical activity uh, is something to help slow that. And there's a lot of data to show that actually weights can be very helpful. Weight-bearing exercises are very important, but even taking on a program of really trying to increase muscle mass can be very beneficial for many women. What about diet then during this time? Uh, Just eating a healthy food, a healthy, well-balanced diet is what you need. There's no special foods for menopause. What's healthy when you're 35 is what's healthy when you're 50. I think you want to focus on a high-fiber diet. Uh, You want to focus on minimal processed foods, ultra-processed foods, making sure that you're getting enough omega-3s. The most important thing for menopause and diet is really calcium intake to make sure that you're getting 1,200 milligrams of calcium a day. If you're not, then you may need a calcium supplement. You were skeptical of the peddling of certain products tied to women's health. What are your concerns tied to this phase? Basically, what should women avoid? Yeah, so there, whenever there's gaps in medicine or gaps anywhere, that's when predators come in. And so there are a whole range of supplements that are marketed to women in menopause that claim to be able to treat certain symptoms or have health benefits, the majority of which are unstudied. And there are also claims by compounded hormones that people that sell and doctors who prescribe compounded hormones, again, these products are untested and uh, from a compounded hormone standpoint um, are less safe than, uh, than standard prescription pharmaceuticals. Women may be getting too much or too little of the hormones. And with supplements, um, it's important to remember, and I'm not talking about, you know, taking a calcium if your diet is low in calcium or taking an omega-3 supplement if you don't eat fatty fish. 
I'm talking about these sort of products aimed specifically at menopause. Supplements are the leading cause of medication-related liver failure, and many of them don't contain what they claim. Many of them can't help um, with symptoms. There's you know, no biological you know, basis to it. Some of them have concerning adulterants. So many of them have designer steroids or thyroid hormone or actually have estrogen in them. And so if you're feeling better, it's because you're taking a pharmaceutical that's in there in a clandestine fashion and so potentially exposing you to risk. Are there supplements that are beneficial? Not the kind of supplements that most people are thinking about, like support your ovary or support your menopause. But a calcium supplement can be helpful. Some people may need an omega-3 supplement. There's a few so-called natural products. How you define natural obviously varies. That may be helpful. So there's an over-the-counter phytoestrogen supplement called S-Equal. There's some low-quality data that it might help some women with hot flushes. There's a product called Relenzin. Relenzin, I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, that can also be helpful for hot flushes. But those are really the only two. Everything else has not been shown to be helpful. D-Manos, which is a supplement, is actually very help- can be helpful for um, reducing the risk of recurrent bladder infections. But I think it's really important that people understand that, you know, supplements should have the same scrutiny as pharmaceuticals. If it's helping you, it means that there's an active ingredient, and we should never give that product a pass that that active ingredient is safe or effective. What are the most common hormone disruptors that we need to be aware of? You know, you may cost or estrogen or just our hormones to kind of go out of whack. Are there certain disruptors that we need to think about? Endocrine disrupting chemicals um, are a high exposure in um, early life uh, may have an impact on um, on the age of menopause. Endocrine disrupting chemicals can be found in pesticides and plastics. They're also found in lavender. The ones that's the most concerning are the PFAS, which are the per and polyfluoroalkyl um, substances, and they are linked with an earlier um, age of menopause. They they can be used in nonstick cookware and water repellent clothing and things like that. A couple of them have been linked with an earlier age of menopause, but the two that have been linked are no longer in production in the United States. But they certainly could be an importing um, imported products. The problem is, is they can also be in the water table because you know legacy from environmental waste. And so I, I would worry a little bit less about your cookware and, and really more about drinking water from that standpoint. But those are the, the chemicals that, are, that have been associated with, with an earlier age of menopause. But probably the most important endocrine disrupting chemical is everything that's in cigarettes. Does that mean that we should be focused on drinking filter water? No, it doesn't. I think that it just means that we should have, we should have standards and we should have, make sure that our, the Environmental Protection Agency and you know, government agencies are, are paying attention to what's in our water. Um, I don't, I'm, I'm not an expert in, in water management, so I, I certainly can't tell you what's in the water here in San Francisco versus you know, what might be in, in Kansas City. Um, and I think it's also important to remember that uh, how do you know that bottled water is safer than what's coming out of your tap? You know, what's coming out of your tap is at least being tested. I wouldn't assume that a for-profit company that's selling you bottled water is, is offering something safer unless they have data to prove it. But I don't think I can really go much more into that. I'm certainly not an expert in water. Well, it's interesting because a lot of people are concerned about the plastic bottles that the water's coming in now. Even the material is changing over time. Plastics are changing all the time. And I think that the two that have been associated with early menopause aren't in production in the United States anymore. That's really all I can tell you. Can you talk about 
if you have menopause at an early age and it could lead to increases in other risk factors, what's going on there and is there really anything you can do about it? Menopause before the age of 40 we call primary ovarian insufficiency because it's not exactly the same thing as menopause and, and also early menopause, is, it's just probably not the best word to use. So about 1% of the population will go through primary ovarian insufficiency and certainly an earlier age of menopause is associated with an increased risk of complications. So the younger you are when you have menopause, the greater your risk of heart disease, the greater your risk of dementia, the greater your risk of type 2 diabetes, uh, the greater your risk of osteoporosis. A later menopause is associated with a lower age of breast, with, with a lower risk of breast cancer. But because heart disease is the number one killer of women, if you look at all things considered, an earlier age of menopause is associated with a shorter lifespan. So that's something for people to consider and why we generally do not recommend removing ovaries before the age of menopause. I mean, if that has to happen because someone has a genetic risk for cancer, then that's a completely different story because their risk is different than someone who doesn't have that cancer risk. So an earlier age of menopause, it can also be associated with worse symptoms for many people and an increased risk of complications. Two of the most common symptoms that women talk about are hot flashes and night sweats. What do women need to understand about them as well as what they can do? Um, about 75% of people will have hot, hot flashes and night sweats are just hot flashes that happen at night. They're a really interesting phenomenon. Sometimes people are having them biologically and they don't feel it. And sometimes people feel like they're having them, but there actually isn't a biological response. And it's probably related to all of the complex neurophysiology behind it. So hot flushes can be bothersome, and if they're bothersome, there's definitely treatment. Um, but having hot flushes also um, is a marker for an increased risk of heart disease. We don't quite understand why. So if you're someone who's really plagued with hot flushes, then it's even more important for you to make sure that you get your blood pressure checked and your cholesterol checked and that you, you know, try to focus on a heart-healthy diet and things like that, exercise as well. What about brain fog, depression, anxiety during this time? Because sometimes the mental symptoms are more distressing. It's important to separate those out because they're all very different conditions. So it's true that menopause can trigger for some women a depression. It's usually a milder depression. So people who are severely depressed, we, we generally think that that's probably more standard depression. Brain fog is very different from depression. And again, but that's something that can be triggered during this time. Again, you want to make sure that it's not depression or not something else. Brain fog isn't something that needs treatment, that needs reassurance. Depression may be treated by working with a psychologist. Some, some women may find that hormones can be helpful and others, other women may need um, antidepressants and some women may need all three. What we would diagnose as depression is usually a multifactorial thing. If you have brain fog and you go in and you get reassured, you know, true clinical depression would be a different thing than, than so feeling sad or feeling worried. When you have, let's say, both or all three and trying to differentiate. What you're saying is that depression is going to be mild and it shouldn't, if it's severe, then it's completely something different? Sometimes more complex, but but I, I wouldn't look as, as brain fog as a cause of depression. I think that's not the right way to look at that. Can people have both? Absolutely. Um, but, but depression is, 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 a, is, a, is a, an independent medical condition. Okay. And what about anxiety? Do you see anxiety? Um, yeah, so some people absolutely can have anxiety triggered around the time of their menopause. And what can make it even more complex is hot flashes can make or hot flashes can make people feel like they're anxious at the same time because your heart can be racing and you're sweating and it can actually have many symptoms that overlap with anxiety. And so that's why these things aren't something that can necessarily always be sorted out like in a 15 minute visit. 
What are your top health recommendations for women feeling distressed by the changes they're experiencing during menopause? And what can they do to improve their sense of well-being? Well, I think the most important thing is to be educated about what's happening to your body because some of the things you're worried about may not be serious. For example, brain fog. It's not a serious medical condition, meaning it's not the start of dementia. It may be very worrisome to you, right? So it's important to distinguish between what's worrisome and still important to to acknowledge, but worrisome versus start of a serious medical condition are different things. So I think being educated about everything that can happen to your body, understanding that the best things that you can do for your health are to quit smoking, have a have a regular exercise program, including weight-bearing exercises, and to eat a healthy, balanced diet. Those are the three cornerstones of a healthy menopause. You know about what can happen to your body, and you know about all the range of treatments, and you know what to be wary of from a scam standpoint. It'll allow you to advocate for your health, hopefully, when problems occur. What would you recommend in terms of seeing doctors? Like, is there a better holistic approach to this phase that you would recommend? question to answer because holistic just means whole body. When you go see a a medical provider, they should be thinking about all the things that affect you. So they should be thinking about your emotional state. They should be thinking about your physical state. They should be thinking about what your gestalt is about taking medications or other things. So, so yeah, I mean, holistic means whole person. And I'd like to think that a, a good provider is looking at you as a whole person. What about on the societal level? What do you think needs to change there? I think it's really important that we change the narrative that, that menopause is, is linked in some way to irrelevance. Your ovarian function has nothing to do with your worth or your value um, or your ability to contribute to society completely agree on that point. Your book, The Menopause Manifesto, is a comprehensive guide for those who are looking to one source for all the topics related to menopause. Thank you for joining me on Spark today, Dr. Gutner. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.